This week is Parshas Pikudei, which is the last Parsha in the Chumash of Shemais, and therefore called also Parshas Chazak, as when we finish every Chumash in the Torah, we announce in the Shul, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak, that we should strengthen ourselves in the continuation of learning and living with the Torah. In addition to being the end of a Chumash, it's also the end of an entire segment discussing the uh, mitzvah and the building of the Mishkan, really the last five parshiyos, Truma, Tetzaveh, Kisisa, Vayakil, and Pikudei, um, the vast majority of them is devoted to this concept. The, again, the mitzvahs given about the Mishkan and the way it was set over, and the way it was actually done. The great story of the building of the Mishkan. Now, the actual Mishkan was only with Klal Yisrael in the desert, um, and then went for the 40 years in the Midbar, in the desert, and then when they came into Eretz Yisrael, they uh, used it for another 14 years um, in a city called Gilgal. But later this evolved into greater and more permanent types of buildings or edifices. Um, you had the Mishkan and Shiloi, which stood for 369 years, and that was already a building, versus the, the Mishkan of the desert, which was only a, uh, a very temporary type of, uh, of, an, of, a, of, of building, just uh, wood, planks, and skins for the covering. So once it evolved already into the Mishkan of Shiloh, it was already a building um, uh, with, uh, with uh, stone and cement. Um, and that lasted for many years, 369 years. And then later it became a full building with the building of the first base of Mikdash, the Shleim HaMelech. And that stood for even longer, 410 years. And then later, after the exile of Bavel, you have the second base of Mikdash built by Ezra, which was ultimately an even greater building that stood for 420 years. So really this Mishkan, which Hashem told, tells us about in the beginning of Teruma, V'asuli Mikdash V'shachanti V'seicham, make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell amongst them. Um, this Mishkan evolved over time. Again, the, the initial one called the Mishkan HaMidbar, the Mishkan of the desert, was very temporary at best, very transient, um, made up of temporary materials and something that didn't stand in, in one place for too long. It traveled with them in the desert. So you have a very temporary type of dwelling place in the desert. And then it evolves into much more of a proper building which, with much greater capacity and much greater uh, permanence. And from the Mishkan of Shiloh to the, to the first base of Mikdash to the second, now we're talking about real buildings that each one stands for hundreds of years in their place. Um, and all of that is from one angle of seeing it. According to that angle, the Mishkan of the desert is really very temporary in relation to those who come later. And that's true. On the other hand, there's a very interesting angle that argues the exact opposite. Because although the Mishkan of Shiloh and the first and second Mesa Mikdash are much greater and more permanent buildings, nevertheless, they are all going to be destroyed ultimately, each one in its time and each one in its way. The Mishkan of Shiloh through the Plishtim and the great battle um, where Eli the Kohen Gadol falls, or his sons fall and he dies, um, described in the beginning of the book of Shmuel. Um, the first base of Mikdash is going to be destroyed by the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar. The second base of Mikdash is going to be destroyed by the Romans and Titus. The Mishkan, the initial Mishkan of the desert, the Gemara tells us was never destroyed. When they built the Mishkan of Shiloh and later subsequently the, the base of Mikdash, the initial Mishkan was hidden, was nignaz, was put away, was put away, um, buried, was hidden. And it's written that when Mashiach will come, we will again find or unearth that initial Mishkan. 
And here we have that interesting paradox. On the one hand, the other later edifices were greater, bigger, more permanent, more established. And that first one, the Mishkan of the Midbar, the one that the Torah deals with so extensively, which is such a temporary type of an establishment, nevertheless, that's the one that ultimately is permanent um, and is never destroyed, never falls into the hand of the enemies. It's, it's permanent. What's the lesson behind the permanence of the Mishkan? And in a very beautiful Sicha, the Rebbe tells us something so important and something uh, very empowering. And that is, the Mishkan of the desert is, as the word itself reflects, a Mishkan made in a desert. A desert is a place that's desolate. It's a place that is not really a place that's fit for living. Um, it's the poorest of places, physically, as well as spiritually. A, a desert spiritually connotes a spiritual lack of life and lack of energy and lack of exuberance and lack of revelation. And that's the desert. So the Mishkan made in the desert represents and reflects when a person is in a place of difficulty and a place of lack of revelation and lack of spiritual or physical um, wealth. And there they create a Mishkan, a dwelling place for Hashem. There amongst their difficulties, they're able to find and create and follow the instructions and create a place that Hashem calls home. That Mishkan is going to be everlasting and permanent. When we respond to good situations, when we respond to revelation, that's fine, that's good, and there's a certain sense of permanence and good feeling, a strong feeling to that. But when we respond to the lack of revelation, when we're able to live up to our capacities and our abilities, even when nothing is supporting us, that reveals within ourselves and therefore within the godliness that we connect to, a level of permanence that's beyond any other. And that's what the Mishkan of the desert represents. It represents, and in our own lives, when we, when we feel like we're in a desert, when we feel like we don't have the revelation necessary, we don't have the excitement or the experience necessary, and nevertheless we're able to create a place for Hashem that is permanent. Interestingly, how this relates to the, to the Yom Tov of Purim, the holiday of Purim that, that's upon us, we're uh, next week, in a week and a half we celebrate Purim, that Purim is very similar in context. Because of all the holidays that we have, in a sense, Purim is the least. Meaning, um, Purim happened when we were in exile. It's the only holiday that happened outside of the land of Israel. And when we were in exile, um, after the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed. And it's even after we, victory was achieved, we were still in exile. And Ahasuerus was still the king, and we were still in Persia, and we were still very much not an independent nation. There, it was not in any way a time of divine revelation, and there was no holy temple, and so on. And yet, we were able to stand up to the plate, so to speak, and we were able to, Klal Yisrael as a whole, was able to exhibit a tremendous sense of self-sacrifice to Hashem and for Hashem. And because of that, this Yom Tev Apurim was created. And it's only about this Yom Tev that it's written that it will never be battle, it will never be nullified. It says ultimately when Mashiach will come, the other holidays will cease to be so special. They, they'll they'll uh, sort of, they'll be there, but they won't be special anymore. They won't stand out. Purim will never ever lose its greatness, its beauty, its happiness, its excitement. It's the greatest of all holidays. 
So that Purim is really almost a replica of the story that we're discussing with the Mishkan. That it's the godliness that's achieved. It's the, um, it's the levels that are achieved. In the times of difficulty, in the times of Golos, in the times of exile, those are the ones that have the most everlasting qualities. But one more thing, and that is something else that we find, another common denominator, both with, uh, with the Mishkan and Purim, is that though we were in t- times of uh, great difficulty and lack of revelation, but we had, in the time of the Mishkan, Moshe Rabbeinu. The Mishkan was made through Moshe Rabbeinu. He, was the, he wasn't the actual builder, but it was all done by his command, by his teaching, by his lesson. And so Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who inspired us to be able to make that Mishkan in the desert. And in the same way, in the time of Purim, we had Mordechai HaYehudi, Mordechai, who is the Moshe Rabbeinu of his time. We're told every generation has its Moshe Rabbeinu, its tzaddik, that's able to lead and direct and inspire and give us that ability to create a permanent place for Hashem within ourselves and in the world around us. And that becomes the second part of that relationship of Purim and the Mishkan. Um, So again, A, they were both done in times and in places of difficulty, lack of inspiration. B, they both are permanent. And C, it's both done through and with the energy and the direction um, and the, the koyach given by the Moshe Rabbeinu, the Sadiqim of the generation. And this then becomes, the, of course, the lesson for us, that in whatever situation one might find themselves, we have an ability not only to create also a place where Hashem can dwell, but to cre- create a place of permanence for Hashem, an everlasting connection to Hashem, an everlasting impact on ourselves and on the world around us. And that's through connecting and following in the teachings of the Moshe Rabbeinu, the Sadiqim of our generations, and in that way to fulfill this mission that Hashem entrusted each and every one of us, make for me a sanctuary, I will dwell amongst you, and may that beat me, everyone succeed in their individual mishkan, and that together we will succeed in the ultimate goal of the third base of the creation and the building of the third base of Mikdash with the coming of Mashiach, may it be today. Have a wonderful Shabbos.